I won't be able to make it today because I'm at the bottom of the pool. That's how that song, when my baby, my baby, we go to Rio de Janeiro. That's how it starts. Never mind. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Wasted. My, my, all this knowledge is wasted. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective. We are talking about the NBA, which is starting to slow down at last. Joining us from Boston, where she was at the Celtics press conference uh, introducing their Plan A players yesterday, um, Kemba Walker and Ennis Kanner, is Jackie McMullen. Hi, Jackie. Hello, Brian. How are you today? Good. And in L.A., uh, doing some TV work, is Ban McMahon. Banned from a lot of places, but not Los Angeles yet. Howdy, partners. There's still time. Jackie. There's still time for that to happen. <laughs> it's early in the day. It's early in the day. And I was with Tim McMahon in L.A. last week. <laughs> yeah, you guys were on the red carpet. Of all places. That's right. No, we had we were, fun. We on the red carpet. We had ourselves some fun, Brian. We did. We were with the power couple, Sue Bird and Megan Rapino, which they are two of just like, I am so excited about the future of our country when I think about those two women. They just blow me away. I've known Sue Bird a long time. I've only known Megan Rapino now like 40 minutes, and they just uh, blow me away. Now think about that, you know, that conversation. Megan Rapino, Sue Bird, Jackie McMullen, and Ban McMahon. I can only imagine. Uh, actually, some of this stuff. Jackie was with them. They had, they had uh, dispersed by the time that I was able to gain admission. They saw you the coming and you got the hell out of there. Yeah. yeah so Jackie, it, basically, the, it was the, awesome. the place had thinned out some, then they let me in. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds about right. Well, you didn't want to drink any of the hard liquor anyway. You just wanted beer, probably, knowing you. He wanted free so, beer, man, and he got it. So there you go. That's what he likes. Nothing man likes more than free beer. Jackie, Two you spent some time. little words. Jackie, you spent Yeah, you and Larry Bird, man. <laughs> I did. Yes, I did. We're trying to do the podcast. I know. Yes, I did. I, I spent some time with uh, Andrew Walker, gets mad okay. when, we, when we have too much ch- chicanery at the start. Frivolity. Yeah. yeah. Shenanigans. Right. Um, he cuts it out later um, with with oh, teeth. Sad. Um, sad. So, yes, what did Kemba you learn Walker. About Kemba? Here's the thing. Yeah. Well, all right. So, I shouldn't probably say this on a national podcast, but here I go. He's just small. <laughs> like, I've seen him before. I've, you know, been on a court where he's been, but. I was just struck by how I'm amazed even more now by what he accomplishes because he's small. And I don't mean just, you know, not tall. I just mean he's slight. And for him to be able to score like that and shoot like that in an, in an NBA where ruggedness and, and size and physicality matters. Um, but I will tell you this. He very much wants to make his imprint on the Boston Celtics. One of the things that he said at the very tail end of the interview that really struck me was he said, it's so nice to be noticed because he has done, been doing some incredible, remarkable things. He was voted third team All-NBA, and yet nobody in his mind has really seen him play. And that was a big reason why he wanted to come to Boston and not only win, but go to a place where there is a tradition and where people appreciate greatness. And, uh, and then he also said that... Uh, during a trip with Jordan Brand in Paris with Jason Tatum, he spent so much time with this young guy that, you know, he read a lot about, and Jason Tatum was at times part of the solution and at times part of the problem last year for the Boston Celtics. And uh, really, really loved this kid and loved his enthusiasm and, and thought, you know what, I really want to play with him. I'm, I'm going to go there. So the other thing I learned, uh, as he told me, he's kind of heartbroken that it didn't work out with Charlotte. He really thought it was going to. He really thought he was going to be a Charlotte Hornet for life. This man, he idolized Michael Jordan, who drafted him, whose brand he wears. <laughs> He's part of the Jordan brand. wonder how long brand. that's going to last. You know what? It will. I think it will because he's he still is enamored with, with Michael Jordan and just kind of heartbroken that they wouldn't pony up to keep him there. So you're saying that it's not just Team USA where partnerships are formed, that now the Jordan brand... Um, that's what I'm saying. Create. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's everything, right? Everything well, the is thing, possible. The thing that's so strange about the Hornets decision, I, I understand the Hornets saying, look, we, we, we understand, you know, he made um, all NBA, and so we didn't expect that, and we're not going to pay him the Supermax. I could understand that. Um, but of course. To, to not offer him a max contract, um, right. you know, you have to do your evaluation. Is this guy a max player or not? And that. 
that question should have been answered before this season. And if anything, this season should have should have even more reinforced it. And and if the answer to that wasn't yes, obviously the the they should have moved on before this. And I thought it was strange. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jordan almost never gives interviews. He sometimes will give um, answers to questions or make comments on questions, but he very very rarely gives an or he will take a Q and A. And he actually did that around the All Star game. And mm-hmm. um, it was it was very calculated. He did it before the national media got there. He did it like on Monday or Tuesday of All-Star Game weekend, All-Star weekend. And there was so much excitement about the, about the event coming to Charlotte, and especially after it had been postponed, that nobody asked him about Kemba. And I think that was a thing. Like, like, it was easy to forget that there was a real decision here because Kemba was just such a hornet. But... You know that had to be something that the that the organization was thinking about for a long time, and and you know the Celtics didn't think twice about giving him, and it was easy for them because you know what you're worried about is Kemba when he's 33 ish, you know his size. Uh, the Celtics couldn't didn't have to worry about a fifth year; they could only offer four. Um, right, but. It's it, it just interesting. And I believe there's an opt out after three, Brian. An opt out after three, player option after three. Yeah, well, that's that what Chris deal. Paul has, too, and I don't think uh, Chris Paul will be opting. <laughs> I understand the Hornets' decision as far as not wanting to pay Kimba Max or, or certainly Supermax money. Essentially, okay, let's be really expensive and mediocre. That's a bad place to be. What I don't get, though, is like you said, why not think about this in advance and explore the trade market for them and then... If you are moving on from Kimba, why are you overpaying Terry Rozier like that? I mean, right. obviously he's that's, not as expensive, but you're like, if you're going to be cheap, be cheap. You know, you're, you're going to be bad. So why are you Just still relatively fully embrace expensive? The cheapness, right? Yes, like right. It, it's called a rebuild where you strip things down, and you know you try to get some assets, and you try to manage your payroll so it's not expensive. It, it's just like they have no direction. They're just kind of stuck being a very blah team that, hey, nobody's going to notice. Jackie, what was the feeling in the room when Danny Ainge looked at everybody with an alleged straight face and said, this was our plan A? Right. Um, well, you know, this is a classic. Thing. This you, always happens in uh, coaching hires. We only offered one person the job, and that's this right, person right, sitting right. right here. No, that's exactly right. And, and I think what happened was they're so bruised and so battered from the whole Kyrie Irving experience, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, guys. I'm not. You know, it's the first time that I've seen some of the front office and ownership since I had written that story some weeks ago about Kyrie and, and how he put Brad Stevens through the ringer and some of the other details that um, I know that the franchise really didn't want public. So I was expecting perhaps a little blowback. You know, I got none. I got none. What well, I the got Celtics was everybody have been accused saying, in the past of being okay with negativity coming out about players who leave, but uh, you know, right? Well, but see, that's why I wanted to do it before he left, <laughs> right. because and it wasn't just him. You know, I was I criticized, as you know, Brian, the players that are still there, and mm-hmm. the impression I got from everybody was there was it's just a sigh of relief because this has been a long ordeal for them. I think they've known for a lot longer than we did. That Kyrie Irving wasn't going to be there. That things well, were Danny not going right. Danny admitted what he 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 admitted he he thought he was thinking about it in March. Uh, I I will say he was probably thinking oh, about it way it, before yeah, that. Before that, yeah. Because things right, went because, south. I, mean, was, with Dan- I was just going to say the KD Kim- Kyrie stuff had been going on since <laughs> well before midseason. So you know, right, if there's that right. kind of speculation I, out publicly, come on. And things went bad with Danny and Kyrie kind of early. I'm finding this out now. And I don't really know the genesis of that. Um, but anyway, so I think there was ownership. Ownership was there. Uh, you know, I talked with a lot of them yesterday. There's a bunch of owners. And uh, they're like, now it's a spin, of course, because it's not, they're not as good. And there's no way you can say they are. But I just think there's a, there, that it's been a really rugged year there. And I think everybody just wants to exhale and try to try to wallow in a little bit of positivity. Wallow is the wrong word. Soak in a little positivity, 
And certainly Kemba Walker went out of his way to provide that yesterday. I mean, I did ask him, look, it's great that you're not a rah-rah leader, that you're, you know, you're going to listen to everybody, but, but these guys are young and they get out of hand and somebody needs to put them in their place. Can that be you? And he said, oh, yeah, don't worry about me. And he was telling me he learned it from Marvin Williams, of all people. I thought that was interesting because you never know who hmm. the really quiet leaders are in locker rooms sometimes. So he claims that he's up for that task as well. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, he said you know, it's, it's interesting that he mentioned that thing about notoriety or attention. Right. Because when he was at UConn, he was one of the most beloved players in UConn history. And we're talking about a pretty storied history there. And you're right. You know, his, Maui Classic his, his, is where it all the legend began, right? And his Remember iconic, the Maui Classic. Uh, yeah, his iconic Big East tournament, um, and then right. obviously winning the title. And he's you know from New York uh, City, Brooklyn, right. I believe. And so he A probably rice, was rice high school, yeah. right? Um, okay. He was Boy, sort of used get, to this. Sort of folks mad at you. Why is that? You can't be getting New York neighborhoods wrong. Go on. Well, I just I didn't remember if he was from Brooklyn or somewhere else, but anyway. Uh, well, here's the thing, Brian. Though it's funny you mention that too, because um, one of the things Calhoun told me was that um, when the Maui Classic, which for those of you who don't remember, he just had three like otherworldly games. I think he, I believe he still holds the record for the Maui Classic for scoring in those games. And they they were an unranked team going into that NC that that preseason tournament or early season tournament, I should say. They were an unranked team. They were nobody was expecting anything, and he just went berserk. And of course, he was named the MVP, and everybody wanted to talk to him. And the team is waiting on the bus, Brian, after the Maui Classic. It's hot. It's in Hawaii. There's no air conditioning on the bus, and they're all waiting. And they're waiting a long time because he has all these interviews and all these responsibilities, and they're waiting. And it would have been very easy for everybody to be cranky and tired and hot and like, let's get going. Instead, what happened was when Kemba walked onto the bus. Everybody stood up and gave him this spontaneous standing ovation, and that's the kind because of. Because he arrived at the bus, it was a it was a brunch. Well, maybe <laughs> could be you could say that, but I mean he you know that's the kind of stuff that he now. I still say he's got a challenge ahead of him, and I think he knows it um, because it, it's too easy to blame Kyrie Irving for everything. Those young guys had their own designs on certain things. They they have blood on their hands as well, and. He's got to figure out a way to get them all back together and united and on the same page. Now, it will be easier without Kyrie, without Rozier, who got you know kind of noisy near the end. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how they do going forward. They, I could, you know, in a perfect world, I can't see them winning a championship, but maybe they can end up as the number three seed in the East. This is being very, very optimistic. I still have concerns about them defensively. Uh, you lost Baines. You lost Horford. You lost Rozier, who was a very good defensive player, and your defense is your identity. So you've got some things to. to Should work I tell? On can I tell my Maui Classic story? The one year I went, it involves your boy Austin Rivers, uh, McMahon. Oh my boy, he is. It. You bet. Um, during the lockout, uh, two thousand. What was that? Two thousand eleven. Um, mm-hmm. I went to the Maui Classic because why not? And because um, <laughs> you could. There was, yeah, it actually <laughs> exactly. ended up. The lockout actually ended up getting settled, like within about forty-eight hours after it ended. But um, there was like probably fifteen or twenty GMs there because, again, why not? What else are they doing? And it was a loaded, it was a loaded um, uh, field that year. Uh, Kansas ended up playing Duke in the title game, but that was Austin Rivers' year at Duke, and it was early in the season. You know, it's like it's in you know Thanksgiving week, so it's like the second or third week of the season, and you know people really hadn't seen Austin a lot yet. By the way. There was a GM there in Maui who is still a GM of a team to this day who was just flat out sleeping in the bleachers. Um, I won't reveal who that was, but uh, I'll tell you guys. Is he still the GM of the same team? That's a great follow-up question. I'm not going to comment on that. If I I answered that, you'd probably Uh be able to get it. I got you. Um, Anyway. What I remember is Mason Plumley was like this one of the the leaders of the Duke team. I think he was a junior, and it was Austin and Seth Curry was on that team too. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember who was on the Kansas team? A couple of guys who got drafted, but no, no. Uh, I think uh, maybe Thomas Robinson. So anyway, they're playing, and what I remember is everybody wants to see Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers was you know a lottery pick, and a lot of people thought he was a chance to be a top three pick at that point. And Doc was there. 
Because again, what else was he doing? Why not? And um, I Go remember watch your son. They, Why not? Is right. Right. They were playing uh, Michigan and John Beeline, and Michigan had this uh, little feisty guard named Trey Burke. Like I said, it was loaded field. Uh-huh. So um, Austin would get the ball on the wing. And Plumlee would get position on the block, and he'd put his hand up and say, toss it down here, young man. And Austin would point and say, come up here and set a pick. And Plumlee would be like, no, throw it to me. (laughs) And it happened like two or three times in about a four-possession span. And finally, Krzyzewski had to call timeout, and Plumlee like lost it, screaming at him. And kind of set the tone for early part of Austin Rivers' career. Um, Yeah. uh, Funny. Um, so, but now he's now he's your consummate professional role player. By the way, real yeah. quick on Boston, to me, mm-hmm. I you can talk yourself into Kyrie Kimba, you know, a little bit of a downgrade, but in terms of chemistry, like okay, reasonable facsimile. The massive drop off is Horford to Cantor, and obviously Cantor can put up points and rebounds, but that's like. That's where you go from being a legitimate contender in the East to, you know, eh, maybe you can get to the second round. And so, I mean, when Danny Ainge says Plan A, Plan A at 5:59 p.m. Uh, on June 30th, sure. <laughs> but you, there's no way you can tell me that Al Horford leaving was was Plan A. Well, Jackie, I don't know if you heard this, no, but the no. Celtics were, from what I am told, one of the teams that kind of stomped their feet about what they felt was tampering. Um, not with Kyrie, although that looked mm-hmm. like it was lined yeah, up pretty far in advance. Um, but with Horford, what would happen with Horford, from what I am, again, from what I am told, really upset the Celtics, that they were thinking they were going to be able to negotiate with him, talk to him um, about a new contract, and all of a sudden it was like he already knew what his market was and was out of there. Um, shenanigans, 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 shenanigans. We all know how this works. Everybody tampers. How was it that Kemba Walker all of a sudden? That's right. what I was going to say. Celtics. That was that. That's what my follow-up was going to be. That's they had yeah, their the, chance the Mavericks, without Horford. Mavericks, go on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. About Kemba. Yeah, no, but about Kemba, right? That's what you're going to say. Right? Yeah, the Mavericks. The Mavericks basically were like, yeah, right. boy, that, that last look in Boston and. You know they had to shift, but to your point about uh, about Horford. Well, the Horford thing, I th- I think plenty of my, time. was that you know they were trying to negotiate a new contract with Horford, and Horford like, you know, it, it's, it seemed opera like he already had offers in his pocket. So, I would say it was probably good. Agent Let me just thing. say this. Let me say this. They were surprised as we were that the money was available to Horford for the four-year deal they got. Now, as you know, subsequent reporting um, revealed that that fourth year is not completely guaranteed. Because at the time, Elton Brand was getting killed for that deal. He was getting killed because that fourth year was being reported as guaranteed, and it it isn't. It is. Yeah, it keeps getting uh, put out there, even by us. I mean, I'm not pointing any figures. It keeps getting, you know, pointed out as 109, but it's, I believe, 97 million guaranteed. Still... Right. Three and, and a half and years. Still great money. Still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Still great. Still great deal. But, you know, if you're Elton Brand, everyone's like, well, why are you paying him all that money? He's going to be this age and whatever. And the Celtics were not willing to. So, I, you know, they can be they can be disappointed about what happened with Al Horford. But in the 11th hour, as you guys know, they were still trying to get him back in a sign and trade and a three-way thing that they that just the, the Nets were like, yeah, we're not helping you. Forget it. <laughs> why would yeah. we help you? Hmm. So. Well, speaking of so, sort of, you know, Interesting contracts. Um, Chris Paul, guys, um, Woj had a story yesterday, and I've talked to some people involved here. Chris Paul, it sounds like, is um, now knows he's going to have to start the season with the Thunder and is settled on it and at peace with it. We'll see if he comes out and talks about it. Um, I think that his family is going to relocate from Houston to Los Angeles, which would be difficult for him because he'd be mm-hmm. away from them, but he just doesn't know where he's going to play. So I think he's, I think he's come to the, he's, I think he's come to peace. And Chris, I, this is kind of dangerous because you can upset Chris if you, um, as McMahon knows, if you say something that <laughs> implies how Chris is thinking and he doesn't really think that way, he gets upset. So I'm walking on eggshells a little bit, but I think he's 
uh, at a place where it's like, okay, I'm going to go play for the Thunder and, and do my my best. Um, well, if th- he, this is a case of he did such a good job fighting for old geezers like himself to be able to sign longer deals, you know, in their later years, that he's now, it's now, you know, I mean, tough. He gets that $44 million in the, in the fourth year of his deal, but that also makes him extremely difficult to trade, and, and Oklahoma City clearly isn't just going to move them to, you know, they're not, they're not going to sacrifice steps in their rebuilding process just to move Chris Paul I, I uh, want to talk a about situation that. that would be better. I want to talk about that, but first, I'm going to say that while I have been told that Oklahoma City and Miami haven't like had formal talks about a Chris Paul trade, they obviously had talks about the Russell Westbrook trade. And mm-hmm. what I heard about that was one of the conversations that happened in that negotiation before Houston, the Houston deal happened. The Thunder were willing to discuss giving the Heat back their 2021 and maybe even their 2023 picks as part of the deal. But Hmm. they wanted the 2024 and 2026 picks that they got from Houston unprotected. And I think they Mm -hmm. wanted pick swaps too. So, you know, they were willing to talk about that. But um, the other thing I heard was that it was, you know, basically, you know, if Chris wanted to get traded to the heat now, he would maybe have had to been willing to decline his player option for that 2021-2022 season. Now, the the way things are shaping up, the, the next big free agent class will be in 2021, and the Heat want to have cap space that summer. And so basically the sort of the horse trade that was sort of whispered out of the side of the mouth was, hey, Chris, if you're willing to forego your player option, that $44 million option, maybe we could start talks. But obviously, why? So all, all that fighting you did as a players' union right. uh, president, Clearly. throw that out yeah. the window. Crazy. <laughs> Clearly, I mean, hey, good of luck. Cor- of course not. But I mean, you have to ask the question, right? Yeah. I mean, if if he was desperate, if he's desperate to get out, of to get out yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't clearly, know why he'd be desperate to get out of there, would he? Why? Well, well, he's well, not. Clearly. Because he's not. how many years left does he have to like? You know, they could be a decent team, sure. But Chris Paul, the lone blemish is that he's never been to a finals or, or won a championship. And so how many years left does he have to really be, you know, a guy who can impact a team's ability to, to get to that point? And so, you know, to spend no, I it get in Oklahoma that. I City get that. for a team that's on a rebuild, that's tough. When, when honestly, yeah, I like, get what's that, he got like, left, a year, two years at that level? Right, but, but my point is, you're where you're at, and... You don't have a lot of clout anymore. I think everybody can to associate with this on a certain level. You have to make the best of your situation. You know, the, the choices that yeah. you made lead to this. And so, okay, this is what you have in your hands now. I mean, I, I've um, this always excites Andrew when I say this, but I, I often compare situations in the NBA to poker. And, um, you know, you get this hand, and this is the hand you have. And you have to do the best with that hand. You can't control um, with the cards that came to your hand, but you can control how you play them. So I do exactly. think that if he if he analyzes the situation, his best move is to come to Oklahoma City happy and smiling and devoted and being totally bought in and, and um, making himself look like uh, he's still got great basketball in him. And there were, st- you know, McMahon, there were stretches last year where he played great. No, he, he when he's healthy, he's hamster. still a very, very, very good player. He's no longer, you know, an elite top five, top ten player in the league. But, like, I know, for example, I know uh, Daryl Morey considers him to be a top 25 player in the league. I mean, he's still, and you're going to have to obviously manage him. He's going to miss 20 games. You hope he can stay healthy for a playoff run. But even without the ability to blow, blow by guys off the dribble, Chris Paul is still a winning piece for sure. Just not right. a forty million dollar piece, right? So what you right. do is you go to you go to Oklahoma City, you do what you got to do for as long as you need to do it, and then you hope that at some point Oklahoma City does right by you and trade you, you know, maybe by February, maybe sooner, to a situation mm-hmm. that's going to work for you, and that that's the only choice you have. It's just yeah, you but you can't, can't go there and di- sulk. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You can't be a diva. You know, you just can't be. 
It's, it's and just, I tell you, if, you want, if you want this to have a happy ending, and I, and I think of Carmelo, and I don't, I don't think Carmelo is a diva, but I do think he just could never embrace, and it'll be different for Chris Paul, because whoever gets Chris Paul, whoever, wherever he does end up, I think he would be a starter, but like, Carmelo could just, he could, he could only subvert his ego so far, he just could not accept being a player that came off the bench, he just couldn't. And so what's happened is what should be a remarkable Hall of Fame level career Who, me? that we should have been, should have been celebrating famous, now, famous right? Right, exactly. Now you know you're a punchline now, and that's a shame. He deserves yeah. better, but yet he has to accept some blame for the way this has ended for him. Yeah, every there was like this melancholiness over All Star Weekend. They had a you know farewell dinner for Dwayne Wade, and everybody was up there right. making speeches and. Melo's up there making a really impassioned speech about Wade, and you know it wasn't hard to see he was kind of talking about himself in a way. But um, of I want to talk a little That's bit hard. about Chris Paul's. Um, I think the genesis of this was a story that Ethan Strauss wrote in the Athletic. Um, I could be wrong about that, but that's where I first saw it. But there's been some grousing about Chris Paul and his leadership of the union, and that you know this is some comeuppance and. You know, he only took care of the Supermax players and, you know, now he gets, you know, he gets what he deserves, etc. You know, he was sort of stuck. And I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, I know a lot of guys uh, are casting checks from 2016 that, uh, you know, or are middle class players who got paid upper class price. Well, let's just right off, right off the top. The, the, the one rule change that Chris Paul enacted that absolutely put money in his pocket was raising the age limit for guaranteed contracts from 36 to 38. Um, there was a rule, it was, it was called the over 36 rule, and you couldn't have a guaranteed contract um, past the season where you had um, your 36th birthday, a multi-year guaranteed contract. And the reason that was, was because they wanted to prevent any shenanigans on like back paying a player like, Oh, um, you know, we can only afford to give you our minimum, but we'll give you a two year minimum or we'll give you, Oh, we can only afford to pay you our mid level, but we'll give it to you for three years. We know you're going to retire in a year and we'll pay you that while you're in retirement. It was a, it was a way to, you know, get around people who were trying to subvert the cap on older players. Um, and so he lifted that age requirement from age 36 to age 38 and that enabled him to sign this contract with the Rockets, which in his year 37, he was able to guarantee himself uh, $44 million. Ooh. He could have guaranteed himself more. He could have gotten a fifth year until he was age 38, but he Could you imagine? Um, now, it's not, I mean, and, and that, who knows? And that now has made it, ext- I mean, that's, if this is, if he's got two years left of max money, it is so much easier to trade him. That's the reason, I think, that year is the reason why he's going to probably have to start the season and spend who knows how long in a quasi-rebuilding situation in Oklahoma right. City. And, and and that $44 million he is going to really earn because he is going to he's stuck in Oklahoma City, you know, stuck in quotes. I don't necessarily know if he feels that way, but you know, he probably wasn't thrilled with this and his his reputation according to some of these stories is taking a bit of a hit within the union um, because of that rule that he changed. And so f- to get that last payday, to get that last $44 million, he's going to have to take some grief for it. So that is, you know, that money did not come for free. I don't think that's a Go fair ahead. way to look at th- his tenure. You know, he was the one who pushed through Michelle Roberts, um, who was a sort of a, a total game-changer hire for the union. He basically made that hire... Some people still blame her. I, I still don't understand the way the union approached the cap spike, but there were, were many mm-hmm. players who benefited from that. But that's another topic. The other thing that he did, in addition to creating more supermaxes for guys like Westbrook and Harden, guys who signed the supermax early, and like Damian Lillard and, and um, uh, Steph Curry, he, he enabled them to get paid more faster. I don't think any of those guys look sideways at Chris Paul, and I don't think any of those guys you would say, are not fairly compensated. Okay, um, John Wall signed it. We didn't have a glass ball that showed that John Wall was going to tear his Achilles. Um, nobody held a gun to the wizard's head to give it to him. 
Um, but you know, I think all those guys think that they are you know they were stars who are getting fairly compensated. And just I'll finish this up and then I'll let you go, McMahon. But the other thing that he did as the head of the union in the last CBA was he raised all the minimums. He gave a raise to all of the players on the minimum. If you're a veteran, the top salary for a veteran uh, minimum used to be the year before this CBA was, I believe, one point four million. So if you know if you're these one of these guys who had didn't have many options and you had to take mm-hmm. you know whatever was out there, you got one point four million, not a bad salary. Well, now I believe it's two point six million um, or two point seven, maybe even now if you're a veteran free agent. And he also boosted all of the rookie scales. Um, and by the way, it wasn't just the veteran minimums. All the minimums got boosted. Um, and uh, even if you're a second or third year player. And then he boosted all the rookie scales. And then he even negotiated it so the players who were on rookie contracts that had already signed would get their contracts adjusted upward to the new rookie scale so they wouldn't be penalized. So... Yes, he threw some carrots at some of the guys at the ho- at the top end, and he definitely benefited himself forty four million dollars probably by that rule change because I don't think the Rockets are giving him a four year deal otherwise. But he also took care of the bottom end of the pay scale just as much, and in, in aggregate, probably sent more money to that group as a collective than he did to the guys at the supermax. So I don't like I don't know what happened in the individual meetings and what he did. Um, he also, by the way, boosted the mid-levels. He, he, he helped create more mid-levels and boosted the value of the mid-levels for the, the, the middle-class player. So I, I don't necessarily agree with him being branded as only taking care of the upper class. Um, all right, McMahon, I, uh, I didn't mean to filibuster, but I just did. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, like, anonymous criticism of Chris Paul, you always kind of have to take with a grain of salt because, let's be honest, he pisses off a lot of people. Like, he's not necessarily a beloved figure uh, <laughs> among guys who play with him or against him. And so, you know, are there some guys maybe who didn't get what they wanted this summer and, they, and you know, they don't like Chris Paul and it's easy to point the finger at him? Sure, but I agree with you. Like, if you're going to be nitpicking Chris Paul, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't feel like he is hosed over players in his role as uh, the players union president well the middle class clearly somebody in the middle class talked to, to Ethan for his story and, and you know suggested that guys were laughing when Chris Paul got traded whether you know who those players no, I believe are, they were them, <laughs> yeah right yeah so, I, I think no matter what his um, salary was they would have laughed at him because I don't think yeah. He's yeah well because and that's partly because he's the guy that's always right and nobody likes the person that's always right. They like you once in a while say, hey, you know what? That was on me. My fault. My bad. I'll, and, and that never happens. And that's always what's bothered people. Well, he did get elected and then reelected. Somebody had to cast a vote for that. And the, and the middle class has more members than the upper class. So the middle class got him – the middle class and lower class of players got him elected. Uh, right. they didn't but you know that, Brian. That, you, you, you complain about the boss all day. But then when someone says, okay, you want to do it? No, 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 no. You go right ahead. Right. So right. that's just that's Well, just you know, for a long walk. time between what? Like when Patrick Ewing was the president of the union in the, around the, the turn of the century until Chris Paul took mm-hmm. over, it was guys more like Derek Fisher who were mid-level type players. <clears throat> and there's right. no question that when, when Chris and LeBron took over <clears throat> that they did pay attention to the top players getting taken care of and – you know, if you're right. a top player, I can't, I can't blame you. Speaking of top players, um, Rick Buecher from the Bleacher Report had an interesting quote um, from an anonymous GM. And I don't want to get too much into this. I mean, I quote executives anonymously all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I know that we can say tisk tisk, <clears throat> but this is a reality. If you want opinions, you're going to have to protect the sources and whatever. Um, but he said uh, the, the quote was that. Kawhi Leonard doesn't really make the players around him better. Yeah, and it's, Wendy, it's a, you know that a, you know that GM that you said was was snoozing through the old Maui Classic. I, this <laughs> GM must have been snoozing through the entire freaking playoffs, like Rip Van Winkle through an entire playoff run. Because how many parades had the Raptors had before Kawhi just had one of the best playoff runs in recent memory? 
I, I kind of feel like he lifted Toronto to being a very good team to being a champion, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, is, Jackie, is that required? I mean, like, I don't, like, I don't necessarily. What does that mean? Exactly. What does like, mean? I don't necessarily, like, does, does Kawhi do for teammates what LeBron has done for teammates? I would they're say different. no. I, I would say no. no. I, I, I mean, Kawhi's but role Kawhi, on the team. What Kawhi does, right, but what Kawhi does defensively for his teammates is more significant than what LeBron does for defensively sure. for his teammates. I mean, you know, for you can, sure. this, this is semantics to me. Um, he's, not, he's not a black hole. I would never call Kawhi Leonard a black hole. I will tell you this. One thing I did notice um, when he left San Antonio, because I was curious, would he play differently? And he does play differently. He does dominate the ball a little more. He takes more shots. I don't think that's breaking news to anybody, right? But I, I, I don't think he's a guy that people say, man, I don't want to play with him. I've never heard anybody say that. Have you? Well, I definitely, the way he handled um, his free agency and the way he operated with the Raptors, which was, uh, I am going to rest 20 games, and when I'm on the court, we're going to operate you know, with me, I mean, that was their plan for him, by the way. It wasn't like he came in and said, this is how we're going to run right. the offense. Right, that was their right. plan for him. And Nick Nurse <clears throat> has a, is, you know, will be getting a ring in a few months because of that plan. Um, but, um, I mean, I, I mean, I understand, I understand why that could be said because he doesn't do it like maybe some other players do. But, I mean, like, Steph Curry has subverted his career a little bit to help teammates. Durant certainly did um, in various ways to help teammates. Kawhi isn't that classic character, but how can you argue with the results? Um, Well, and again, it goes back to, so like, I always thought for Kawhi Leonard, the worst thing in the world for him was Tim Duncan. Because Tim Duncan sacrificed money, shots, fame, attention, what have I left out? Glory, uh, you know. Yeah. And so that became free a standard agency. that I mean, he free agency, stuck with him. right? Almost, yeah. right? Almost went, almost went to Orlando with Doc Rivers. Much closer than people will ever realize how close. One he of was the greatest imagine, sliding doors yeah. moments in NBA history. Imagine if how history would have changed if if he had gone to Orlando, huh? But anyway, I, I digress. So Ka- Kawhi was not that guy, as it turned out, for the San Antonio Spurs. That did not make him a villain. It just makes him a guy that didn't want to live in the very long shadow of one of the most selfless players in NBA history. It doesn't make him a bad guy, I don't think. I think one of the things that the Clippers successfully apparently tapped into, although I think the Raptors had that had the same idea, was that Kawhi didn't want to be in the box that they constructed for him in San Antonio. It's a beautiful box. It's a jewel-encrusted box. You know, the the guy running the show is one of the greatest coaches of all time. But one of the things that sort of became known was that even though his personality matched the way the Spurs love their stars, the way he wanted to play didn't match. And the, I think the Clippers picked up on that, and they were honing their pitch for months. I think this was part of their pitch was – we're going to let you construct your own um, your own scenario here. Uh, the Raptors kind of beat them to it, though, because they let him do it. But um, Kawhi is going to be who he wants to be. That has become blatantly clear. And, I mean, Kobe was that way. I mean, you wouldn't hear a lot of people say that Kobe made teammates better, but he is adored and revered by, you know, Kobe is still adored I feel like more players adore Kobe than than adore LeBron. Um, you oh, think I'm sure. wrong? You know, no, and I think yet you're right. the the way LeBron plays in theory would be more attractive to play with than with Kobe. Right, and and let's get back to Kawhi for a second here. Let's not muddy the waters as to right, why sorry. Kawhi Leonard is no yeah, longer with San Antonio, and it still has to do with how they handled that injury, and maybe we'll never know the full story. But that is the crux of why he's not there anymore. I'm convinced of it. You'll never convince me of anything differently. Yeah, I just, um, I don't know. I, I, um, I, think, I think the Clippers felt like that was going to be their secret weapon. Um, 
was they were going to present him a, a you know the idea that they were going to build it around him and when the raptors did that and then won a championship they were like damn because um, I, I really do think that the Clippers were really fearful that they were not going to get him. And it, there was and, – and the one crazy thing is, you know, I've heard complaints in the days after the signing. heard complaints from the Lakers that they got played. I heard complaints from the Raptors that, you know, that uh, Kawhi came in and asked for the sun, the moon, the stars, and then left him at the altar. And, you know, but – I I I, I kind of think they were all still in the game, and they all felt like they were still in the game. If if Toronto did not still feel like they were in the game, they would not have sent the plane for him. They would not have done the big presentation. If the Lakers didn't think that they were still in the game, they would not have delayed the Anthony Davis trade like they did to to try to wait to see if they could get him. Um, and if the Clippers didn't think they were in the you know if the Clippers thought that they had him locked up. They would not have given up five first-round picks to get Paul George. They just wouldn't have. They, they, they paid that premium because they were uncertain. And if Kawhi kept all three teams uncertain enough to give concessions and to, 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 to do what he wanted, then I think it was one of the great negotiations that you could ever dream of. Yeah, um, and look, isn't that funny how up. everybody wants? But isn't it funny how everybody wants to rag on Uncle Dennis because it, it sure worked out pretty well for him, didn't he? Make out what he wanted and who he wanted to play with. But, yeah, if you're the Clippers, did you give up too much if it's just Paul George? Yeah, you could argue that. But not if it's Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, if you look at that as you made a trade to Oklahoma City for essentially a package deal, you do that every time. You know, the, 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 the Thunder situation was a little bit strange. Let's say um, Kawhi – let's say that the, the, the Clippers drew the line at – Two first round picks and two pick swaps, <clears throat> the same deal that the the they got for Russell Westbrook. Let's say they're like, listen, mm-hmm. we don't believe that that uh, Kawhi, we don't believe that you're going to the Lakers. We don't believe you're staying with the Raptors. We're, we're not giving up Shea Gildas Alexander and all this stuff. Our offer is two first round picks and Shea Gildas Alexander for Paul George. Take it or leave it. And Kawhi was like, all right, I leave it. I sign with the Lakers. Um, like that was that was on. Like I, I think that could have happened. I don't think that's what Kawhi preferred, but because that threat existed, they were able to they, they were able to drive that deal. But if that had happened, let's say Kawhi signs with the Lakers, you don't think that within twenty four to seventy two hours, the fact that Paul George had demanded a trade was going to get public, and once that happened, was going to put immense pressure on the Thunder, um, and and possibly drive his price down. Because, by the way, if you examine Paul George's contract, he has two guaranteed years left. If he plays this season, all of a sudden you the stress starts hitting because you're like, is he staying or do we have to trade him? So the Thunder would have lost leverage and they wouldn't have dreamed of been able to get anything like they got. So the Thunder were under some pressure to close the deal too um, because it was an expiring leverage. You know, it had it not closed. So the fact that all of that was created in this scenario, created by Dennis Robertson, um, who everybody calls Uncle Dennis, but I'm going to call by his real name because I'm pretty impressed with uh, how he handled all this. Now, the teams were annoyed with the process and annoyed by some of the things that, that uh, Dennis Robertson did, but how can you look at what Kawhi got and say that you know he, he didn't do the best he possibly could for his client, who happens to be his nephew? Exactly. Yeah. So, do you care at all about this? Uh, Andrew will probably tell me to cut this later. Do you guys care <laughs> at all about this um, Jim Dolan versus Steve Ballmer lawsuit situation? You know, I, I care no. honestly. I care more about Jim Dolan versus the New York Daily News and just how consistently petty and you know, just like a sorry old schoolyard bully Dolan comes across as. See, I don't care but, about that. I don't care about that. I care about. Well, I've been banned stuff. before, so I, I can. I, you know, I've got a little <laughs> empathy, unlike you. I, I see what you're saying. Well, the banning, the banning itself is, is uh, reprehensible. 
but the but the feud I don't really care about. Is that are we okay with that? Am I okay yeah. to say that? I, I do. I do think it's it. There's something way off about Jim Dolan, the Knicks owner on the East Coast, meddling into the Clippers arena situation on the West Coast. Well, it has nothing and to do with. If I'm the Adam Knicks. Silver, that that's not. I I understand that, but. If I'm Adam Silver, I don't need an owner of one franchise on one coast meddling with the arena situation of another owner on another coast. All right, Jackie, I'm going to say what happened, and you can either you can vote whether this should remain in the podcast or not. Okay. Um, the story came out in the New York Daily News. What it clearly is, knowing that the New York Daily News is a is a sworn uh, adversary of Jim Dolan, that's right. probably why these depositions arrived at the New York Daily News. But. I care more about the contents of it. So Jim Dolan sued um, Steve Ballmer because Steve Ballmer wants to build his beautiful new arena. And by the way, right. um, I was I was hearing somebody who was who was telling me the plans of it. Like it, it, the design of the arena is like a big ball going through a basket. Like it's designed to be total <laughs> basketball. Like the, the design That's of the. Cool. Thing, um, and uh, but it's they're, they're going to build it basically down the street from the Forum, the old place where the Lakers used to play, which is which is now owned by Jim Dolan, or I technically Madison Square Garden owns it. Um, and so they told uh, the Forum had at least a parking lot, and the the mayor said, "Hey, we want to turn this into a technology park. Would you mind letting your lease expire on this parking lot? You're going to have a plenty of parking when the new L.A. Rams stadium opens." Uh, anyway, like, yeah, we're going to give up our lease. Go build your technology park. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't for technology park. It was to build Steve Ballmer's arena, which in theory right. could take concert dates away from the forum. So they sued. But this is what I'm so fascinated by. All right? In, this, in, these, in these depositions that, the, that got leaked to the New York Daily News, Jim Dolan gave a million dollars to the guy running for mayor – Against the guy who did this deal with Balmer. And Balmer gave money to the current mayor to get reelected. And the mayor did get reelected. And so not only is this a battle over the future of the Clippers and where they're going to be, but this is like a full-scale, like, Cold War where they're giving political donations. And and then it was admitted in the... um, in the depositions that Dolan tried to tried to go to Genie Bus, or at least Emma, Madison Square Garden tried right. to go to Genie Bus and get the Lakers to undercut the Clippers and move to the Forum and undercut it. Um, I think all this palace intrigue is amazing. Um, am, am, am I totally totally off base? No, I, I think it is, but it's just that I think really for people in New York, this is so salacious because they already all hate James Dolan and want him to get mm-hmm. rid of the team. And uh, this just further cements every belief they have. I mean, I've read all these stories, too, and it it sounds like, in a lot of cases, he was trying to fight back, but without the knowledge of the area and how it works and what was going on. It, it seemed to me like he didn't, you know, he needed a reconnaissance crew to, to keep him up to speed on what exactly was going on. Well, the guy only got like 20% of the vote. As usual, Jim Dolan backed the wrong horse. The wrong guy. Exactly. Uh, I just found it interesting. Yeah. Andrew will probably cut this out. All right, you guys you guys don't care. I, I, I think it's amazing. And well, I, they had, I care, they had, but I just, you know, I, I'm not sure right now where it leads us, right? Can, can you imagine what it's like Steve to be Ballmer? Steve Ballmer? Like, okay, the owners' meetings were last week. Sorry, the governors, the board of governors. Governor, board of governors, um, yes. Uh, can you imagine Steve Ballmer? He's sitting in the room. He's just outfoxed the uh, the Raptors, who were hopping mad. He's outfoxed the Lakers, who um, it's also come out in legal documents. Um, Jeannie Buss calls him balls behind his back um, for Ballmer. And he's being sued by Jim Dolan, who he's kind of outfoxed already, and he's probably going to get this arena done, is my guess. And he's worth $40 billion, and he got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I know he doesn't have the, the ring, but he's he's got to be, you know, the cat that ate the I like his chances for a ring over these next couple of years. Yeah, I, I do too. So, um, but, uh, all right, so 
we are going to go on a bit of a hiatus here. Um, if there's, you know, the need to do podcasts, we are going to do them, but the NBA is slowing down. Um, I am going to cover Team USA um, this summer. What's left of it? Anthony Davis already backed out. We'll see if any other top players backed out. But they have training camp in uh, a couple of weeks in Las Vegas with a bunch of top players. Um, so there might be some stuff that comes out of there. And then I'm I'm going to try to go to China with them. Um, McMahon, they let you into China. I'm having difficulty getting a visa. So maybe really not exactly. They're not exactly waving American journalists over to China right now. Maybe I shouldn't even talk Here about what you, it. Here's what you do. Um, they let me do. in and not you? Well, Here's what you do, Brian. Call up. I'm going to tell you what to do. Call Bill Duffy. Bill Duffy is still a god there because he represented Yao. He knows well, all the people in the Chinese Basketball Federation. He's the one that got me a visa within a matter of days when I went over there. All Who's right, your man? Well, I'm telling you. He's got some th- clout. Things, Bill, if you're listening, give my friend Wendy are, a call. Things are, uh, things are getting complicated. So um, anyway, so we, we, do, we do have some basketball left this summer, but... We're going to go on a little hiatus. We only did one podcast this week, so we'll see. So stick with us. But thank you um, for listening throughout this whole year. We had a record-breaking year in terms of downloads. We really appreciate your support. Um, Jackie and Tim, uh, you guys are my uh, A, A, 1A and 1B on this. Uh, thank you for a great season. Yeah, we're your plan and, A like Danny Ainge just executed his plan A, Wendy. We know. That's right. <laughs> And that's She's right. Kimba, and I'm in his canter. I'm I'm just a troll. When I think of you, I think of canter. No defense, big guy. No defense, great attitude. Cheap you know. shots on social media. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, so thank you very much for your support this season. And you know we're not we're not going to go away for months, but we're going to slow down a little bit because I think Andrew Hahn would like to be done with us. So thank you. Here's um, what I predict. Here's what I predict. Brian, here's what I predict. We will be doing a podcast next week. <laughs> you probably will. Well, now that we said uh, that. you might be. I'll be in Something's Hawaii. Something's going to happen. <laughs> Something's going to happen, and we're going to have to do a podcast. Just predicting. All right. Thank you All right, my uh, friends. for listening. And um, I will talk to you to talk to everybody soon. Take care. Adios, Hello, McMahon. Gracias. Wait, that's not Hawaii.